Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Interviews are conducted with individuals who are doing clinical work, as well as leading attachment theory researchers. Your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, will introduce you to Dr. Susan Hart, who will discuss the role of attachment in attunement and brain development. This episode is the first of a two-part interview with Dr. Hart, so be sure to stay tuned next week for part two. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. So I am here with Susan Hart, who I am Dr. Susan Hart. Um, make sure I say that. I know you you recently completed that, and um, I am so excited to be talking with you today. And Susan is from Denmark, um, so we're doubly pleased to also have an international guest with us. Um, so Dr. Hart, could you please tell us just a little bit about your background so the listeners of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast could hear a little bit about you before we start? Yes, of course. Well, actually, I have been a clinician for very many years. And um, when I started out, I, I, I became um, a principal of a family treatment center. And that was really where my, my interest in attachment got, you know, caught up. And it was in, in, you know, in the very early days where Dan Stern, he had just become a, a name. And when I was sitting together with these parents, it was just so easy to see how early in life an attachment pattern um, became alive in the child and which had so much to do with the communication between um, the adult, the parent and, and, and the child. And, um, you know, I think in those days we had a lot of success, but there was also families, you know, they came into the family center and they went out and they said, you know, we're not motivated. We can't see the idea. We don't know what you're, why you're doing this. And it struck me, well, probably, um, probably psychotherapy there's no fits all sizes, you know, like in clothes, there's just no fits all sizes and attachment patterns. They can be so different. And I think, you know, the families that we really struggled with in those days, that was uh, parents with a disorganized attachment pattern and where it had went for generation after generation. So what I really do think that we work with systemic therapy, we work with narrative therapy, and um, we really had a success with people having small family issues also you know families with um, you know a slight uh, insecure attachment pattern but these really these really problematic families we weren't really really very good at helping them because so much therapy is um, verbally based so it's words 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 and what we discovered was that it was very difficult to reach these parents and if we couldn't reach the parents, we couldn't reach the children. And um, after 10 years of reading, you know, a lot of, of the attachment-based stuff, but also the work from Edtronic and Dan Stern, uh, I came to think of, well, probably it would be an idea to, to think about assessment methods to find out what works for whom. 
not so much, you know, cognitive wise, but digging much more into our emotional life and to see how emotions and um, attachment and the whole a wisdom that came from neurobiology and how this works together and also works together with trauma theory. Mm-hmm. So that became a, a, a fantastic passion for me in the mid nineties where I started to dig into what I later call neuroaffective developmental psychology to see if we could find um, a way to connect attachment theory, neurobiology, trauma theory and attachment theory to bring in, bring in the whole thing together. So after having been 10 years as um, a leader of this family treatment center, I went into child psychiatry and uh, made assessments with children because I came so curious to see how attachment and the way that parents and children bear together, how that fits into the brain and how that becomes a personality. Of course, together with the inherited um, uh, evolutionary our genes everything that you know the 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 nature stuff and how nature and nurture works together Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I worked for three years in 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 child in a child psychiatry department and then um, I became self-employed after that and I released my two first books in in 2006 and that has become, you know, to 14 co-edited and edited and co-authored books. Um, oh, my. <laughs> That's a lot. Mm. Yes. And I think, you know, it's, it's really a never-ending story because there keeps on being, um, being subjects into this neurobiology and attachment that becomes very interesting and there's assessments that's psychotherapy that's there's theory there's writing you know really hardcore books for psychologists and psychiatrists but and then again you we have to make publications so the ordinary professional they understand the the theory so what i'm actually wanting to do at the moment is to bridge um theory together with practice together with research so we bring these three ends together too yes Yes. Well, I just really love what you're speaking about. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind as you were talking about assessment and the importance of assessment early on is exactly the reason why we started using the adult attachment interview mm-hmm. at Shadok. Um And we have a partnership with Miriam Steele, Dr. Steele in New York, that um, Codes those, although I am also a trained coder, um, because I felt that, as you're saying, not all psychotherapy approaches work for everyone. And, you know, being inspired by um, the work of Mary Dozier and how she was kind of looking at, yeah, how can we um, connect with these parents in a way they can be most receptive? based on their own history and their own attachment pattern. I think the other thing that's so wonderful about what you're saying is there's seeing, I always say there's sort of a parallel universe between attachment literature and trauma literature, and there's really different conferences for each like group, and they somehow don't intersect very well. And the third thing that is so good is I think um, 
I mean, you have become known as a person who can make um, neuroscience accessible for people. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not accessible for everyone and only a neuroscientist or researcher can understand it, mm-hmm. it's not going to get into the hands of the clinicians who are working with the children. So, you know, it's, it's just everything's so exciting that you described and what you're doing. Um, but uh, you know I do really think that that having making a lot of theory and if you don't get out to the professionals working with the children and working with the families because it's not accessible you can't use the theory for for anything because for in my point of view theory has to be usable it's not just art It, it, it has to be usable and, you know, way back in my days at the university, I thought that we read a lot of fantastic theory. But when, you know, when you, you, you were finished as a psychologist, it was impossible to use it. So I think it's just so important making theory that's, that's, um, that, that gives knowledge of being a professional, being a psychotherapist or whatever you, you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm really keen on dividing it also into you've got, um, you've got assessments and you've got psychotherapy, you've got theory and you've got your self agency. And I think, you know, we speak so little about the agency of the psychotherapist. In, in the old days, you know, in, in, in the psychoanalytic days, there was a lot about countertransference. Yes. But it's, it's, it's like it's got lost and we have to have that back again. Because helping other people, it's got so much to do with their own agency. So you've got theory, you've got your methods, and you've got your agency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that our own attachment patterns as clinicians play into that. There's, there is some literature out there about that. But we wouldn't need the literature to know that, would we? We, <laughs> we know as therapists that this is important. And so, yes, I, I, I love that, that you're bringing that up. So, so when you talked earlier about you decided you wanted to do some sort of assessments to see what would best fit each family, um, can you talk a little bit about what, what you started to do and, and that, what that process was like? And are that, so if there's ways that therapists or others listening could replicate that? Yes, well, it's true. I am very much, you know, these years, being so much into the theory and being so much into the clinical world, I, I thought it was so interesting to dig into assessments. And the first thing that struck me was that we're in 2018 now, and there's not one test that, where it's possible to measure emotional development. Mm. So... Um, I wanted to to make an uh, assessment method called Emotional Development Scale. Mm-hmm. And I went into um, a, a big European publisher called Horgreve. It's actually a German um, publishing, you know, psychological publishing firm, and asked them if they would uh, help me to develop this Emotional Development Scale. So uh, in 2012, we were 20 psychologists that worked together for three years to see if it was possible to, to um, work out this emotional development scale. And we, they told us, well, start off with, with a specific age group. And we started off developing uh, emotional development scale for 12-year-olds. And 
it was a tremendous work. And um, when I wanted to write my PhD, I wanted that to be a part of the PhD to, to make um, reliability and validity studies on the emotional development scale. So what I did recently was that um, we finished um, the version for to the four to 12 year olds in the emotional development scale. And I wanted to make the validity study together with um, um, the parents' mentalization capacity. And uh, as you know, Harriet and Miriam Steele, they use the, uh, the adult attachment interview and Arietta Slade, she uses the PDI, the parent development interview. But, um, you know, I, I, um, I got the certification for Harry Miriam Steele in the RF scale. Ah, but okay. It's, 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 it, it's so complicated for clinicians. Yeah. So what I asked Peter Fornegy um, two years ago is, it, is it all right if I try to make a, sim a, a simplified mentalizing assessment method? Mm. So um, we've made what we call the emotional mentalizing scale, uh, which is uh, very different from, um, from the RF because we actually make a video. So you see the body language, you see how, how they connect with the interviewer, you, you, you hear the uh, 14 questions that you rate one at the time. So I wanted to use our emotional mentalizing scale together with our emotional development mental scale. And then I asked Phyllis Booth if it, if it was okay if I um, made psychometrics to the MIM. So that's actually what my PhD is about. That is um, correlating the emotional mentalizing scale with our emotional uh, development scale together with MIM of psychometrics. Wow. That's, yes, yes, that's tremendous. Mm. Wow. Um, so do you feel like that was successful or is it still in process or are you ready to just give this to everybody and then we'll know exactly what to do with our family? <laughs> well, of course, you know, it's always, it's always surprising making research because actually, um, the, the EDS, you know, the Emotional Development Scale, mm -hmm. um, I divided it into a referred group and a non-referred group. Yes. And I've, I've got a population of um, 332. Wow. Yes, because, you know, that's a part of the Horgreffer study um, to make the standardization. Yes. And, and, and what surprised me the most was that... Uh, I, I use, um, you know, the triune brain idea yes. from the neurobiology. Yes. So the emotional development scale, that's an autonomic level, a limbic level, and a prefrontal level. Uh -huh. So it's divided into these three um, dimensions. And um, the autonomic level is very much about uh, arousal regulation, body sensation. Um, the limbic level, that's very much to do with uh, empathy, um, being emotionally attuned with another person, and the prefrontal level that's very much to do with mentalization and delay of gratification and impulse inhibition. So what I found out was that uh, the big difference between the referred and the non-referred children was um, on the autonomic and the prefrontal level. 
but there was no difference on the limbic level. And the limbic level in general is quite low in our society. Wow, so that is interesting. That's interesting. And another part was that uh, together with the emotional development scale, which is a performance test, but it's also an interview to the parents to judge their inner representations. Yes. So, so what I also discovered was that uh, in um, parents of referred children, they have very negative inner representations of their children. Mm-hmm. While um, the, the, the non-referred children, the parents, they have very positive um, internal representations of the ah, children. Yeah, so that's, yeah, because there's a working model of the child, I believe it's called, is, is one that's used by parents here. It, again, looking at how are you viewing this child? So yeah. Exactly. That goes back to one of your first statements that you said in this discussion, which I wrote down is just so profound. If we can't change the parents, we can't reach. The, if we can't reach the parents, we can't reach the children. And so there you have it in terms of their mental representations. We focus a lot with the AAI in terms of their mental representations of their own attachment history, um, but maybe you know not as much on the child. Another thing I'm so intrigued by with what you're talking about is. I went into learning about the adult attachment interview um, with a lot of thoughts about video from being trained and using the MIM. And video is very much frowned upon even using with the adult attachment interview because as you know, it's all based on linguistics and the narrative that the person gives you. So in my mind, I'm so set on this idea that that's, you know, looking linguistically about how they speak about their history rather than behavioral, yeah. as the AAI was taking it to the level of representation. So now I'm doing like these gymnastics in my brain, like, wait a minute, you're using videos. So yes, tell- you're using videos. And, and um, judging a mentalization capacity, we've got, um, we've got a, a scale where you have to judge it from the nonverbal expression, body expression, uh, attunement, um, capacity for uh, attunement, and looking at the narratives and that's you know a question of not being um being cheated by pseudo mentalization yes i think it's very difficult when you can't see body expression so i you know i think it's so important to see the whole person to judge mentalization thank you for joining us for this edition of attachment theory in action Please follow our site at the Knowledge Center at Chaddock.com or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to the Knowledge Center at Chaddock.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.